Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. On the show this week, we've got Laura Walsh. I'm Laura Walsh, COO of Launchpool. Sharing the story of Launchpool, a digital asset platform with a mantra of egalitarian investing. Laura and I talk through how her incredibly unique foundation as an English teacher, an international development operative, and as someone with a deep interest in how things work, led to her entry point into the blockchain ecosystem in 2017. We then dive into the mission of Launchpool and Launchpool's impact as a platform for investing in blockchain projects. And we also get into where things are headed with the Launchpool Web3 Techstars Accelerator landing here in Dublin in early 2022. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. All right, well, listen, I've had a look at your LinkedIn profile and it was amazing to see how much is it's on so there weird. for teacher, for teacher, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Teaching English mm-hmm. as a foreign language, your whole connectivity yeah. into Asian studies and Japanese. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Originally, I actually started working at the Department of Education in Nova Scotia, my home province, and I hadn't gone to university yet. And I had this, this boss and she was kind of like a mentor to me. And she was really great. And working in the education in the Department of Education, they're kind of like, hey, we want everyone to have their university degree. And at the time, like it would just there were student loans, but you can't afford it, you know? So I'm not from a privileged background. So you have to be able to carry that loan, that debt, right? I think back then when you graduated, it was about 40K total debt, but that's still that was that's a lot to carry. Mm-hmm. So they had agreed to fund some courses for me if I would go to university even during the day. So during my working hours, I would be funded to go. So I went and the first course I took was political science and working in government. It was a bit of a no brainer, but I was always fascinated with Egyptology. And this is like a complete 90 degree right turn, but fascinated by it, like studied books, hieroglyphics, everything fascinated. So I found out my university offered an Egyptology course, like, wow, archaeology, anthropology, and they actually had like a language component with hieroglyphics and ancient Egyptian and the Coptic. And and so I was like, oh, yes, awesome. Way back in the day, I was dead set on going to the University of Chicago for their, I think back then, they wouldn't wouldn't call it this now, but the Orientalism, it was something of Oriental studies. And I'm like, you can't call it that anymore. mm -mm, No, like, no, I can't call it that. But they didn't have it that term, but what they had was Japanese. Okay. So I took Japanese as my language requisite. And And that's led to so much more. It's just kind of, it was like literally the timeline branched. And I went there for a a study abroad for two months. And then it's like, it hooks you. Japan is, is, is a bit enigmatic. If you go for a short period of time, it hooks you and you get pulled in. And so I went back, I quit my job in order to uh, qualify for student loans. So I quit my job to qualify for student loans and got a student loan plus also one bursary to study overseas. So I went over for about a year and a half studying Japanese language and culture, full immersion. When we got off the plane after for the two month immersion course, the summer course that gives you like literally full year credits. So that was, you know, Full year credits in two months, you cannot turn that down as a mature student, right? So we got off the plane and people start speaking to you in Japanese and everyone's just literally deer in headlights. I'm like, ah, oh, I have no idea what you just said to me. Like, it's fast. People have accents and regional dialects and you're just like, oh, I'm so confused. You know, this is not Tokyo. I didn't go to Tokyo. I went to Hokkaido mm-hmm. and 
complete night and day. So it was like deer in the headlight, babe in the woods. I have no idea what's going on, but it turned out really well. And yeah, it's like the, the rest is history. I just stayed or until, geez, 2012. Okay. Over in 2005. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of sounds like me. It's interesting that you, you know, we're looking at this program to do mm-hmm. Egyptology. I mean, <laughs> what I was thinking was that, you know, and then, and having that turn into a Japanese study program. <laughs> So right. Weird. And it's like, well, okay, well, let's just go do that. I was hell bent on going to Ireland from my university days in Massachusetts, University of Massachusetts at mm-hmm. Amherst. I just need to get out of Western Massachusetts. I needed to go somewhere, had an Irish heritage, wanted to go to Ireland, wanted to go to Cork. That was where the family heritage was. Yep. Someone said to me, Pete, you'll have a lot more fun in Galway. I said, okay, I'll go to Galway. All right. <laughs> now it's not like you're going from Egypt to Japan, Yeah. but making that decision and going to Galway changed the tone for so many other things from that point forward. So very important beginning distinction of picking mm-hmm. that degree program for you. How do you think that background in being able to operate and live in another language has set the tone for what you've done since 2012? Well, since 2012, then we uh, just moved to Thailand. So it goes from, you know, I mean, from Canada to Japan was not, not shocking, but it's still, it's, it's a big culture shock. And that's enough. But then when you come from Japan to Thailand, it's another world. It's 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 almost another world. And this don't want to sound, you know, privileged and, and boring and, you know, rehash all the stuff that every travel writer or blogger has ever done in the world. But but it is quite the wake up call if you've never been to Southeast Asia before to come to Southeast Asia for the first time with a three year old by yourself yeah. and go what did I do? What did I just do? Um, Maybe I should go back. But it just forces you to adapt. You have to adapt and you have to, I think that's one thing I've been able to do is just literally no matter what setting you find yourself in, you sit, you listen, you learn, and you adapt and you find a way to make it work. And I think that's kind of what I've, what I've done with whatever industry, whatever position or anything I've been in. You adapt and you make it work. You, it's not really make the best of it because that sounds like it's possibly a disadvantage, but that's, that's not what I'm meaning. What I mean is you find your niche, you find your role, and you add value where you can. Well, yeah. I mean, it's adapt and evolve, mm-hmm. right? You don't adapt, you die. <laughs> literally, yeah. literally. And you have yeah. to. You have to adapt. And thinking about your entry point into the mm-hmm. blockchain ecosystem back in 2018 with NEM, how was that immersion and what was your, what was a real impetus for you to dive in and do that? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because the first thing I did in blockchain, I actually physically did in blockchain, was with a project called LoyalCoin. And okay. um, it was built on NEM. It's moved, it's moved over to BSE. It's still alive right now. And they're, they're doing a relaunch and a revamp, just kind of like every project has come back. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see them still out there and kicking for 2017. So, but in that summer, I think 2017, the summer of 2017, close friends of mine over here were all like Bitcoin, 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 like just going yep. bonkers about Bitcoin. And I'd heard about it back in 2015 and 2016. And you know, nah, nah, I'm going to go the route of international development. That's what I want to yep. do. Well, my site's set on the UN. That's where I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to do. And I was looking to teach at my daughter's school. Maybe like a, I'll 
you know, no offense, but international school tuition is not cheap. So, and she's yep. in an international school. So I was like, hey, maybe I can get a discount and teach, you know, because I, I enjoy teaching. I, I enjoy it. I, I love helping kids, helping people and explaining things. So I find it's a, it's kind of a natural thing for me. So that was kind of a natural path for me to take. But way back in the day, I used to build, you know, friends of mine and myself back in high school. We were one of the only group of kids. And there's like three of us, two guys and me hanging out in a basement, you know, playing around with computer programs. And so I'm not saying I'm a hacker because I'm not and I can't program anymore to save my life. But with the old soldering irons and getting some chips on and building my own towers and trying to figure wow. out the motherboards. Yeah. Like, can I do it now? Maybe if I sat down and really thought it through, but it's been a really long time. But my daughter and I did build uh, did build like a little, I've built a couple of Raspberry Pi stuff for her and we've done some stuff together. But way back in the days, like you buy your tower and then you save up and you buy your drives and you buy your motherboard and you, you know, yeah. and then you, you customize it as much as you can. So it used to save up every paycheck to buy something cool for my, for mm -hmm. my computer. And so we used to do that a lot back in the day, just to see what we could do. And we had the, you know, we had the Mac Daddy. It was all white, of course, like back in 97. I think it, everything is yeah. white or that horrible beige color, you know. For the life of me, I can't remember the specs, but it was, you know, that that that's what we did. And and two of the, the other two guys literally went on. One went on to a career in teaching computers and science and the other is like built his own web company, which of course this is this is what they would do. But for me that Technology has always held, you know, a special place and, and I'm, I'm a geek at heart. So it sounded interesting. And they're like, hey, you know, really, you should check this out. Just just get in it. Just just see, just see. So in some ways, I'm a bit of an extrovert. So I was hosting events. So I was host this right. event for this, this project. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll bring in some people I know. They'll bring in people they know. And so we hosted an event for, for LoyalCoin and it went really well, you know, but then that kind of fell into a position with NEM. And they're like, would you like to basically represent us in Thailand? And I'm like, well, I'm not Thai. So, you know, but they're like, yeah, it's, it's okay. But maybe build out an office with some, you know, make Thai partners and bring in some Thai staff. It didn't end up being as big as it could have been. And there were some missteps along the way, but I think I did the best I could with it. And we built the rep office. I opened an office in Thailand. We had a lot of conversations with the government. I taught a class. I actually taught a blockchain class with my daughter, teaching people how to make tokens, literally how to wow. yeah, make your own token on NEM. We taught a master's class. You know, that was pretty cool. Bring my eight-year-old along. We launched her own project and she, she was, uh, you know, the youngest blockchain CEO for a while <laughs> floating around here, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think everybody at some point in this space gets a little bit scammed at some point. And we got we got taken advantage of. And unfortunately, that went that way. But we're hoping to bring that back someday. But yeah, so it's it's been a lot of different things. And starting off with NEM really opened your eyes to, I can I think the protocol, like working for a protocol rather mm -hmm. than working for, say, a platform. Like I work for yeah. now, it's, it's a platform, right? When you work for a protocol and then after NEM, NEM restructured a few times and their latest restructuring, I'm not going to talk about it because I got uh, you. yeah, I got I've you. been gone. I've been gone since, um, I want to say March, February, 2020. And then I joined Near for, yeah. for a couple of months, helped them launch a couple of products and then hopped over to where I am now, which is LaunchPool and working for like, again, a protocol. Is very very different from working for a platform 
When you work for a protocol, you have to be an evangelist. And, and you do. It, but I find sometimes that it's detrimental and it narrows your focus a little too much. Like you're not seeing the bigger picture, right? Yeah, I know. All you're seeing is an adversarial type of thing. Well, oh, no, they did this. Well, we have to do that and we have to follow them. And you're either playing catch up or you're trying to constantly ship to stay ahead of the competition, which is great for, again, for the ecosystem, for competition, but it doesn't let you see the bigger picture about what's going on. And especially some communities can go toxic, obviously, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's quite easy. And you see it. A lot of times. So even if you do say, hey, for example, Solana's got something really cool going on over there. And they're like, hey, you work for NIR. Or you work for NEM. You work for NIR. What are you doing? Talking about them. It's like, but, but it's cool technology and you should check it out. And we're supposed to be multi-chain and just, absolutely, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I know. And it's, it's against your own best instincts as well that you kind of know. And from getting to know you, Laura, and understanding that this is a multi-chain world. Yes. Right? It has to be a multi-chain world. There's no other way it's going to work. It, it just Absolutely. isn't. It isn't. And interesting to hear, just just curious, that ability to go down the rabbit hole with your daughter and build a token, right? Mm-hmm. What were some of the resources you used to go down the rabbit hole for you to figure this all out? Oh, geez. To figure out your place in it, right? Um. Well, for her token, it was more of, it was again, the teaching, mm-hmm. the teaching thing. Let's Let's bring kids into this ecosystem. Hopefully not the toxic part, but we have to kind of have a walled garden for kids. Of course. And, and yeah. some people don't agree with me because, you know, their kids are exposed to some horrible things already now. But for me, being protective mama bear, it's like, no, let's have the walled garden for kids. Let's not, them be, let, not let them be exposed to the overly toxic, you know, stuff that's going on. But for us, it was more uh, my daughter was interested and she thought it was cool because, you know, I was I was a single mom out here for quite a few years. So mm-hmm. I took her everywhere, everywhere I went, she went. So she was on the blockchain circuit with me. So she was uh-huh. on that. She was on the speaker circuit. She was on the panel unless I had a awesome. child care or something. There she was tagging along. You know, yep. she went up She and she would just boldly go up to people who had just spoken and say, excuse me, I would like to ask you a question. So <laughs> she's got way more chutzpah than I do. I, I'm, I'm kind of shrinking in the corner going, I don't know. <laughs> you know, she's very, she's just very not shy to ask those questions. So yeah, it was more of the, the teaching aspect. Let's teach them what to do. And then edutainment almost, but not in the way you think, like gamification. And we would do gamification for her project because of what she was learning at school at that particular time. They had mm-hmm. an entrepreneurial UOI. She's in the IB system, so they do units of inquiry. So she had one about entrepreneurship, and she was talking about different types of business. Is it a commodity? Is it a, a product? Is it kind of just gobsmacked it? Because I never learned this in school. And then she was telling me about the technology they were using in the classroom. So we're doing a Kahoot, or we're doing this, and this is a game to learn. And you know, let's learn some math. And she's having a little bit of problems with math. so. They recommended these games for math. So I was like, hold on now, this is interesting. I'm like, what if we could actually teach, you know, teach kids about saving money or, you know, blockchain and fiscal responsibility? That was the mm-hmm. whole idea. So it kind of evolved from there. And I don't think it was ever fully, fully baked out, but it was a really good idea. And she she explained it a lot better than than I ever could. Wow. I was letting her run wow. with it. So that that's kind of where we where we went with that. And I I pulled on some friends I knew in the space and like what what do you think of this? And I mean making the token on NEM, we made it on NEM. It was it's it's literally it's it's very easy. It's incredibly easy to make a token on NEM. Anybody who holds NEM goes into a wallet, a NEM wallet can mint a mosaic. I don't know if they call them mosaics anymore, to be honest, but that's what they were. So 
making a token was not difficult as long as you could pay the the contract fee. It was pretty easy. Okay. I really yeah. like that. Like, you, like you've been talking about adapting to your situation, mm-hmm. having a young kid with you and tagging around and wanting to get her involved. And the process of teaching also involves learning yourself. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. So bringing that all together now and into Launchpool, tell us how that transition into Launchpool happened for you and what the Launchpool mission is and why it's important to you. Sure. Well, I joined Launchpool this summer. It was pre- it's pretty recent, actually. I want to say June. I mean, May. May, June, I joined them this summer. And it was because, you know, unfortunately, he's not on with me here, but it was because of Shane. And I I met Shane in Thailand. He's, for people who don't know Shane, Shane McQuillan is our VP of strategy at Alphabet. And Alphabet Fund is a founder of Launchpool and a main investor Mm -hmm. in Launchpool, kind of mother company to ours. And they were looking for someone to help with operations, organization. Uh, That's kind of my wheelhouse. And just, you know, Herding the cats is the way I put it. Herding the cats. So let, let's go herd the cats. Let's make sure everyone's working towards the same goal. And again, it's another challenge, another adaptation, because I'm not working for a protocol anymore. I'm working for platform, which actually I find mm-hmm. so much nicer <laughs> to yep. work for platform rather than protocol. Not that protocols aren't great, and I, I'm really excited to see what comes from them. But you don't have to fight. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not having a, you know, a bare knuckle fight with, between Solana and Solo or something like who's who's right. doing this and and Flo's doing NFTs better than we are it's like okay let's that's just fine. work with that's fine that's great so we have choice and we have multi-chain and as long as we get our contracts up and running which I think we can soon on multi-chains then we all we offer the community now is more options more choice mm-hmm. which is the whole point and Launch, Launchpool's mission is egalitarian investing so mm-hmm. What that means is they felt that, pardon my French, but the little guy was getting screwed. So the retail investor was not getting access to what the big guys are getting access to. And I'm, you know, I'm a retail investor myself. And um, so I can, I know exactly what they're talking about. Wait a minute, how did that go to that price? And I'm getting, you know, sniper bots are getting all of, say, the IDOs or even way back in the day, the ICOs. You cannot beat the bots. You can, and mm-hmm. not only can you not beat the bots, you can't beat the VCs, you can't beat the funds. They've got the inside track. They've got the connections. They've got the money. So they set about a way of making it so that they would actually get allocations from these projects that are launching mm-hmm. and offer those at the same price as the fund would get them to the retail investor, so to the community. So we get it at $0.04, cents, you get it at $0.04. Cents. Right. And listing will be say seven or eight cents. So you're you're getting in when the the VC and the private investors are getting in. You're getting in at the same price at the same terms. So investing. When you, when you say the fund, you mean the Alphabet? Yeah, Alphabet and fund. their partners funds. The Alphabet has mm-hmm. about I I want to say about six different partner funds as as well that can also come in on any deal given whether they want to or not. Obviously, it's not it's not a prerequisite. And but most of the projects that Alphabet will fund, they will ask for a launch pool allocation mm-hmm. as well. So it's kind of that is kind of a prerequisite. Well, if you want to work with us, you're going to have to work with the little guys, so to speak. You're going to have to benefit our community. And I think that's a really nice part of uh, Alphabet as well. It's like you know, we're not just going to take this all for ourselves. We're going to move it on to launch pool and we're going to make sure our community gets a piece as well. And so it's it's a bit of a not complicated, but it sounds complicated way of getting your allegation. But it's it's really well, not. It, it's it's equal and it's fair. Yes, exactly. Right? And- so 
there's no lottery, right? So there's no lottery. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, here's my entry. Oh, fingers crossed. You know, I'll not get it. It's, it's guaranteed allocation. So what you stake in the pools and there's three pools, there's 50, 250, and then an unlimited pool. And it's all split evenly. One third, one third, one third. So whatever you're staking in, you're going to get a guaranteed allocation. So there's not first come first serve. It's not, it's not a, it's not a lotto. You get, you literally will get an allocation if you stake your launch pool for whatever project we have, we have on offer. So I think it's a really nice way of doing it. And, and then once they list, you know, you get your launch pool back. That's, that's kind of like a holding Mm -hmm. you, you kind of put your launch pool down to hold that. And then you buy your allocation and then your launch pool comes back. So it keeps it circulating through, right? So there's a, there's an actual utility for the token. And any examples of some of the interesting projects that have come through LaunchPool already? Sure. Well, recently Realm just came through, and that's a metaverse. And they're doing something really cool coming up where you can actually buy land. So they have courts yes. and, and, you know, like courts yeah. and pavilions and so on and so on. So I think, you know, I've seen a lot of recently a lot of criticism floating around for NFTs and uh, the, what they call the, the right-click brigade about, <laughs> I can right-click and save your JPEG, and why is it any more yeah. important than NFTs? And a couple of well-respected people I actually respect have been quite critical of NFTs. I just don't think they're thinking of them the right way, and they're, they're only seeing the, the, the degen aping side and not seeing the actual yeah. value side. So this is where we might have a bit of an image problem with, this, with the space. And even then, I don't want to say image problem because... The space needs everybody. So with any type of, even with the traditional art world, you're going to have, you're going to have the people who paint graffiti and you're going to have, you know, the Renaissance masters. And not Mm -hmm. everyone will like both. Not everyone will think they're both equally valuable, but that's kind of what it is. Like any any type of space is going to have extremes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've been trying to come somewhere in the middle with it. it can be challenging, right? And yes. I can think about, you know, I can think about art as mm-hmm. NFTs. I can think about some really interesting stuff that's been being created. And the way you need to think about it kind of, and you and I have talked about this, Laura, is that that NFT of that piece of art is the virtual wall hanging on the virtual art mm-hmm. gallery in the metaverse. Exactly. That is, has only just started in the last couple of years. Yeah, to say that- and others and and bringing these types of things into this virtual only experience. To say exactly, and to say that the metaverse is not going anywhere is, I think is incredibly Mm short-sighted. All, I mean, my daughter spends half her time on her VR set right now. I bought her an Oculus for her birthday. Nice. She doesn't, she won't leave it now. It's like, oh, I've just been exercising and I'm like, but you didn't go anywhere. It's like, no, yeah. I was playing, you know, the saber saber game on on Oculus. I'm so I'm so tired and my muscles hurt. And I'm like, okay. So especially with like lockdown lately, I I see things like this in the future. To be honest, people are going to escape escape to a virtual world. Whether that's, you know, a, a net good or a net negative. I think that's a reality. All we need now are haptic suits and we're all in uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> really? I was thinking deeply about this this morning, Laura, while I'm out on my morning trek. Yeah. And, you know, was listening to a podcast by Lex Sokolin called The Fintech Blueprint. He's just, just brilliant. And he was talking through this whole reality of people staring at a computer screen for eight to 10 hours a day mm-hmm. and then probably staring at a smartphone screen for another three to four hours a day. 
Yep, easily. And that is the reality. And wouldn't it be more interesting if instead of staring at a screen that you actually have a VR visor or mm-hmm. goggles or headset, like you said, and that you're engaging that way and you're you're doing your online ecosystem engagement in 3D rather than in 2D. Yeah. Right. I, I think if it's a more of an immersive experience, you just get more out of it. It's it's a sensory yeah. thing. Like you could I mean Oculus now, you can I think you can somehow map your hands so you don't need mm-hmm. to hold the paddles and it just okay. has your hands. And I'm like, that what are you doing? Is, it's really funny to watch cool. from outside, but it's pretty interesting. So I don't think we're too far from for whole virtual ecosystems now metaverses i mean you can kind of play in as an avatar on your screen and you can go in and oh look i'm looking at a little piece of digital artwork oh isn't this cool but that's this is just the beginning we're just you know on the ground floor and i find ar augmented reality really interesting freaks Mm -hmm. me out a little bit but very very interesting you know oh there's a what is that over there there's something on the table or there's something on the ground or I'm playing Pokemon and oh look there's a Pokemon there and I mean something I thought about is my daughter's in virtual school obviously over here they're not back into school and it would be almost be better if she was literally in a 3D virtual school rather than sitting in front of this horrible Google Meet screen where it's just nobody has their camera on and nobody's interacting and nobody's doing anything and it's just hey go do your async do your asynchronous work, but, you know, submit it via Google Doc. And it's just, it's so soulless. It's soulless, really. Reminds you that, you know, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Oh, very much so. It's with William Gibson, you know, and and looking at the reality of the metaverse and these emerging economic factors of that Mm. and looking at how far we've come over the last 10 years in cryptocurrency with DeFi now, with NFTs over the last few years, the entry points of all of that into the metaverse, blockchain itself, right? Mm-hmm. And all the different base layers and or protocols that, that are formed out of blockchain. Those being the here and now and those being the companies that are building this bridge into the metaverse. How did the launch pool partnership with Techstars come about? And obviously I'm sitting here as the new managing director of the Launchpool Web3 Techstars Accelerator. <laughs> and we've talked about some of this, but I think it'd be great to share the story of how this all happened to the point of getting this accelerator going in Dublin in sure. March of 2022. So I am, unfortunately, some of this is going to be third hand from me because as I mentioned before, unfortunately, Shane's not here, but he's literally the impetus. He, he is relentless. He is- big, sh- big shout out to Shane. Yes. <laughs> I've been telling my wife about Shane McQuillan is and, and that it's he's Shane from Barrytown. And Barrytown, yeah. for for those who don't know out there, is the fictitious place where all of the Roddy Doyle books are based, or a number of the Roddy Doyle books are based, who talking about Dublin culture in the nineteen eighties and nineties. Because that's that's the way Shane describes himself. But he's pretty he's much. Character. He is he is. Like there's nobody like Shane, honestly. Now Launchpool launched about six, I'd say seven months ago, the platform launched. And in that time, I think we're up to 22 projects that have gone on to IDEO. We've launched an incubator and now we're doing an accelerator. So this has been in the plan and this is 
kind of what the CEO, Rich Simpson, I'll shout out to Rich as well. We've talked about this as a full life cycle ecosystem, so to speak. And Shane working for Alphabet, he has a, a shareholding in Launchpool as well. So everybody is keen on making Launchpool work and make it work for our community and adding value. So how do we add value to Launchpool? Well, we just can't do this, meh, meh. like let's, let's have some projects, let's do an allocation and then off they go and then there's nothing else to add. So we started thinking about Techstars quite a few months back and this is according to Shane because this is before my time. He was very interested in having an accelerator. I, I think he's, he's a big fan of outlier ventures, especially. So. We wanted that for Launchpool and Alphabet. So he went around and looked at, you know, the top accelerators and what we what could we do for the Web3 space? And and we haven't seen a lot of, let's say, traditional tech accelerators bridging over into Web3 or let, let's say tokenized assets or, or our, our space that we're in now. I, I don't want to say crypto because it's so much more than crypto, to be honest. It, it just is. Mm -hmm. There's more. There's more it than is. tokens. There's so much more than tokens. So to bridge those two industries, as you're learning as well, it's, it's not always the easiest thing because one moves at the speed of light, the other one moves at the speed of, well, tech, but not mm -hmm. as fast as, as we're used to. But he found tech stars and he thought, hey, like these guys, their, their unicorn status is, is pretty legendary. I think it's definitely probably up to 15 now. So seeing their unicorn status and how they focus on founders and how they focus on the team, and they put a lot of thought and effort into not just, hey, let's, let's pump out unicorns, but let's make sure this team has what they need to not just survive, but to thrive. And that really spoke to the ethos of Alphabet and Launchpool as well. So we want high quality projects. We want to help them on their way. And we've got the, the connections and the network as well to bring into uh, a more, more of a traditional style accelerator. Let's bring in the, the blockchain aspect and tokenized aspect for tokenized assets or and assets can mean anything i'm not just talking about uh, monetary things anything you have can be an asset mm -hmm. you know your your insurance premium can be an asset your pen can be an asset if you want it to if you like it enough could be um, a rock could be an asset a, <laughs> let's not talk about eth rocks oh geez yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so shane reached out to tech stars and the rest they say is history but it worked out where they came up with kind of a hybrid style of accelerator. And Shane was very adamant also to bring you forward. So we're, we're happy to have you, you with us. We're happy to have you with us. Thank you, Laura. And, you know, the I, I would say the rest they say is history, but not really, because it, it's been a lot of work and a lot of coordination, and a lot of work. We've brought together a great pool of potential mentors and, you know, just top-notch people across the space, which is... yeah what we're planning on doing. For me, it's really exciting. And to talk about being the COO of Launchpool, I was primarily, to, to be honest, brought on to help with Techstars. Mm -hmm. Because it's a Launchpool as well. Heard the cats in Launchpool, but definitely we're going to have to herd the cats for Techstars. Like, you're mm -hmm. going to have to be, and I'm the partner liaison, so I'm like the day-to-day -day point person for Alphabet and Launchpool with Techstars. So this is what I'm going to do, you know, eyeballs deep in this one. <laughs> so exactly. So, so exactly. yeah, this is, it's really exciting to me because I, I want to get the exposure as well. And this is, this is personal, but I want to see how a traditional tech accelerator is run. I'm really excited to learn. 
And that goes back to teaching and learning. I, I'm really excited. Anything to never, ever, ever stop learning, no matter how old you get. The more you learn, the, the better you just will be. I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to say like the, the smarter you'll be, because sometimes I just learn that I'm really dumb and I don't know a lot of things. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm, I get to learn it. And that what's better than that? Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting so far for me. It's all been very quick, right? But, you know, one of my favorite authors out there, Ben Horowitz from A16Z, wrote his book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, that there is no playbook for startups, oh. right? Mm -hmm. But there is a playbook for startup accelerators. Yep. <laughs> and tech stars pretty much have that, yeah. okay? And now it's going to be different every time. And that's the whole idea is that it is different because mm -hmm. it's founder first. And it's all about bringing in these 10 fantastic founders, their founding teams, mm -hmm. and each of them are individuals and treating them as individuals that all have their own challenges and problems and hopes and ambitions and dreams and visions, Yep. right? And whether they're, they're, they're true visions grounded in economics and technology or they're delusions of grandeur, you need a bit of both right? In order to succeed in this space. And it's, it's all just fascinating. I am terribly excited. So, but trying to channel that excitement into at the same time of getting things done. You yeah. Know? Operationalize um, it. Let's operationalize the excitement. <laughs> so, you know, my history as a COO, your current life as a mm -hmm. COO, I think it'll, I think it'll work well together. Listen, tell me three quick questions for you mm -hmm. as we're, we're rounding out this conversation. Why you? Why now? And what's your unfair advantage? Three questions from Jason Calacanis, one of the <laughs> leading angel investors in the US that he usually asks founders. But I'm, we're going to ask this question in a little bit of a different context with this being Laura now, right, in the year 2021, but also the unfair advantage that makes this different. Okay. Why me? I'm going to kind of put that in a launch pool context because I think that just makes sense right now with Techstars. As I stated before, Launchpool has the incubator and the launch pad, and we're missing the accelerator. It's the missing piece of the full uh, lifecycle ecosystem that we want to have. And if you've looked at what we've done in six months, especially we've just launched a, an incubator as well, and it's, we've got five projects going on that in the first cohort already. So we execute. We yeah. move fast and we execute. So why us is because we can do that. And why now? Why now? Because this is the this is the slot it should be. And COVID being what it is, because Web3 is now, we can't wait. Decentralization of data, AI, you know, edge computing. This is the time to have a, a Web3 accelerator. You wait any longer, it's passed you by. You've done it sooner. We're not fully fleshed out yet. I think this is the perfect time. To be honest, Web3 is like open, trustless, and permissionless and this is, this is blockchain. It's just all synergy. I know I'm using a VC word and people are going to scream at me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it just make, it's just the, the best word I can think of right now at the top of my head to, to explain that all of these things come together in blockchain. So this is the right time. And what our advantage is and my advantage is that I have history herding cats and I'm okay with herding cats and, yep. <laughs> and I can herd the cats. And also Launchpool and uh, Alphabet's advantage is their reputation and how we execute and how we can do this really well. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> Thinking about Dublin, what are you most excited about looking towards this program being in Dublin come March? I've never been to Ireland, and and okay. if you if you look at my last name, my my father's side of the family is 
This <laughs> is very well. Yeah, Walsh. Walsh. There you the go. The Irish. The Irish are going to get mad at me. I know it literally means from Wales and Welshmen, but okay. don't tell my dad that because well, Saint Patrick <laughs> was from Saint Patrick was from Wales. Yes, exactly. So, so there you go. It's the ancestral home, so to speak, for my dad's side of the family. And I've never been there. His whole side have gone. They've done like the pilgrimage, like every, yeah. as you know, as every <laughs> Irish descendant from Canada and the U.S. does, they go over and they, they look for yep. their, their castles and their clans and stuff. And I haven't been, so I, I feel kind of left out there, but, but not just that. <laughs> that's, that's a yep. personal side, being excited about going to Dublin. From, uh, from a professional side, you and, and you know, Charlie Taylor from the Irish Times and everybody else have opened my eyes to the tech scene in Ireland, and it's, mm -hmm. just, it's just phenomenal. And I cannot wait to tap into that because it's just, you know, London is London, but it's not Ireland. Yeah, it's the concentration here that yes. makes it better, and it it's everybody in this these close yep. confines, and not just Dublin, but also Galway, mm -hmm. down in Waterford, Limerick, Cork, up in Belfast, up in the northwest yep. as well. And from and, what and I know, these different points, it's it's amazing. From what I know of the Irish, is they're incredibly supportive of their own. So anybody who's going to be coming from an Irish background working in an Irish accelerator is going to get a lot of support. And that's yes, what founders are going to need. And these teams mm -hmm. are going to need a community behind them. So awesome. if they get that, it's, it's going to be fantastic. That they may not have gotten in London just because it's bigger and it's more, you know, dispersed, oh, yeah. so to speak. But I've already got the Saturday activity started to line up for folks. <laughs> oh, great. Um, that it could be fun and interesting. <laughs> And may involve a bit of uh, getting cold in the sea, but that, that works. That works. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. We can only swim in Canada, uh, where I'm from, in August. That's okay. the only time you can swim, and it's only for about a week. And after that, right. it's done. You're in the North right. Sea. Well, it's too cold. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's too cold. It, it's the two minutes. It's the first two minutes. It's all you need. And once you're in, you're in, and the sting is gone. You're numb. It's yep. absolutely fine. Yep. Listen, Laura. Last question of this podcast that we'd like to ask everybody. What is one thing that people wouldn't expect to know about you? Um, that's an interesting one. I don't know. I talked about how big of a geek I am. I was going to say I'm a big geek. You build computers. <laughs> you're fluent Japanese. Geek. I'm assuming you you're fluent in Thai. Not super fluent, but I can get by. I can I can okay. shop and order things, and and I'm okay. But I think that I can spend an entire day in my pajamas and pizza and just playing video games. That's like, really? that is a perfect day for me. I'm on the, I, I got a, I was able to get a PS5. I left it back in Canada. So I'm kind of kicking myself, but I'll go back and get it. And Good. I can spend the entire day playing like e even something like Samurai Warriors, just, you know, slash and smash wow. or Baldur's Gate. So like digitized D and D, I can just play it all day really? with pizza and maybe some chips and a, like a tea and I'm good. I'm good. That's it. And how often do you actually get to do that? Not that often, yeah. really not that often, but every once in a while. And I'll stay up until two in the morning. Usually I'm out, I, I'm out like a light at about nine o'clock on the couch. I cannot stay up late anymore. I'm old, can't do it. But if I'm, if I'm gaming, I've got my glasses on, I am focused. I will stay up till 2 a.m. just gaming and then I'll yeah. like go to sleep and I'm like, no, but I want to play. So <laughs> I'll get up again and just play more. You'll just keep going. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> No, that speaks volumes about your character as well, <laughs> which is awesome. Laura, thank you so much. This was an awesome chat. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Oh, and thank you. Really just excited about 
working with you on everything going forward. So I can't you. wait. Super excited. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> Thanks. That does it for this week, folks. A big thanks to Laura Walsh for opening up her mind to help us figure out why she does what she does. Links to get in touch with Laura and Launchpool are on our website at moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Also, applications are now open for the Launchpool Web3 Techstars Accelerator in Dublin in 2022, so check that out on techstars.com. If you like what you heard, we would sincerely appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening on, as it helps others to find the show. And remember, Money Never Sleeps is spelled as all one word. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup advisor and investor focused on fintech and digital assets. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a line on pete.townsend at techstars.com. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See you.